Before we begin this episode, some of the content we discuss may not be suitable for young children. However, the decision is ultimately yours with your young ones. Episode 62, The Enticement of Midian. Though the Israelites were not able to be cursed by Balaam, there was something that could be done that could cause the Israelites to become weakened, not on the battlefield, but rather through the practice of sexual cult rituals. Welcome to the History of the Bible. In the last episode, we talked about Balak, the king of the Moabites, being overcome with fear of the Israelites. The Israelites did just conquer and destroy the king who beat the Moabites. To help Balak with this fear, he wanted to curse the Israelites so that they could be beaten in battle. This is when Balak summoned Balaam to the plains of Moab to curse the Israelites. However, because of the divination that Balaam was reading from the animals that were sacrificed, he was not allowed to curse them. Although, he did give Balak a word of advice that would begin bringing Israel down. What was the advice that Balaam gave to Balak, the king of Moab? Was it some strategic strategy for battle? No. Was it a way to come to a peace agreement with the Israelites? No. The Israelites would continue to camp on the east side of the Jordan River. It was while they lived here that the advice that Balaam gave to Balak began to take place. Balaam advised Balak if he wanted to take down Israel, it wasn't going to be with the sword. They were blessed by God to take the land and conquer it. Instead, Balaam suggested inviting the people of Israel into the worship and practices of the Moabites and the Midianites. This way, the Israelites' God would punish them for pursuing other gods, and the Moabites wouldn't have to go to war with a blessed nation. So Balak sent the women to the camp of the Israelites to begin enticing the men to follow them into these practices. The plan was for the women of Moab to invite the men of Israel to the sacrifices of their gods. But it wasn't just the worshipping of their gods that the Moabites had in mind. No, they brought the men of Israel to the temples and showed them cult prostitution. The men weren't just worshipping Baal, the god of the Moabites. They were actively participating and having sex with the temple prostitutes. This is why in Numbers 25 verse 1, it says that the Israelites began to whore with the daughters of Moab. Another translation of the Bible says that they indulged in sexual immorality. And it continues to say that the Israelites were invited to the sacrifices of the Moabite gods, where they ate the meals that were part of the ceremonies and bowed down before these gods. The Israelites were already pursuing other gods because the women of Moab enticed them. Later in Numbers, verse 3 of chapter 25, it says that the Israelites yoked themselves to Baal and that because of them joining themselves with another god, the Lord's anger burned against them. The Israelites didn't just pursue the god of Moab, Baal. They left Yahweh. They turned their backs on the God that brought them all this way from the land of Egypt 
because of the women. Needless to say, the advice that Balaam gave to Balak, the king of Moab, worked. The Israelites turned their backs on the Lord and pursued the other gods. The people that Balaam could not curse because they were blessed by God would suffer the consequences for the pursuit of Baal. The Lord would then call for Moses to bring out all of the leaders of the Israelites, those men that were tribal leaders that should have prevented this from happening, or at least enforced the punishment for their members of the tribe pursuing other gods and women of another nation. Moses was to gather all of these men and kill them. Not just a normal execution, though. In Numbers 25, verse 4, it says that Moses was to take all of the leaders and kill them and expose them in broad daylight before the Lord. The word kill in this verse can be translated to mean kill, execute, impale, or dismember. Therefore, in the context of the verse where it says that they were to be killed and exposed in broad daylight, scholars believe that the word impale should be the correct translation. What would happen in this type of execution is that the person would be impaled with some type of pole or multiple poles, and they would be left there in the elements. This would bring the birds and animals to come and eat the bodies left out in the sun, left there for everyone to see. This type of public execution was to help remind others within the community that this type of execution would happen to them if they didn't obey. Often in ancient Israel, Mesopotamia, and later on the Assyrians, this type of execution was done to the worst of criminals. This was done to the leaders of the Israelites because they were no longer leading the tribes in the way of the Lord, but were led astray by the women. It was also during this time, because of the Israelites pursuing other gods, the Lord sent a plague into the camp of the Israelites. This wasn't a plague like the one seen in Egypt. Rather, the word plague here in verses 8 and 9 of chapter 25 is referring to an epidemic within the camp. After the execution of the tribal leaders, Moses would call for all the judges to put to death those of the people that had yoked themselves to Baal, most likely in the same manner that the tribal leaders would have been executed. After the execution, Moses, the judges, the remaining leaders and the Israelites were all mourning, weeping at the entrance to the tent of meeting because of the sin that they had committed. But it wasn't all the Israelites that were remorseful. During the gathering of the Israelites to cry out to God, an Israelite brought a Midianite woman into the camp right in front of all of them. In verse 14 of Numbers, chapter 25, it says that the man was a tribal leader's son brought the woman in front of everyone. And because it was a son of the tribe's leader, the Mennonite woman was a princess, a daughter of one of the Mennonites' tribe's leaders. The man brought the Mennonite woman to his tent so that they could have sex, as we'll see in a moment. When the man brought the woman into his tent, Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the grandson of Aaron, saw this. Phinehas didn't take the situation lightly either. When he saw the man and woman going into his tent, he went and grabbed a spear, followed them into the tent, and drove the spear right through the man into the woman's stomach. 
Some scholars believe that the Israelite man and the Midianite woman could have been practicing ritual intercourse. Often, this type of intercourse would be related to the cult of the dead that was often practiced by the surrounding nations. The reason that they could have been doing this type of ritual for the dead was because of the plague that was happening inside of the Israelite camp. However, Numbers 25 verse 8 says that when Phinehas, the grandson Aaron, the grandson of Aaron, killed the man and woman, the plague ended. It was because of this devotion to the Lord by driving out the practices of worshiping other gods that Phinehas brought the atonement for the Israelites. Because of that atonement, plague would end. However, it would leave its effects on the Israelites. As it's believed the plague was some type of epidemic that killed the people, in verse 9 of chapter 25, it says that those who died in the plague numbered 24,000. The number of people that died is debated, though. It goes back to the discussion, how many Israelites left Egypt? Was it over 1 million, or was it closer to 30,000 or so? What makes it so difficult to answer this question? is that the language that is used is almost identical. To say 24,000 people and 24 clans are almost the same Hebrew words. Therefore, it could be that rather than 24,000 people dying, it might have been 24 clans that were wiped out. This would make more sense when the Lord called for Moses to bring out the leaders of the clans that allowed their members to sin by pursuing other gods and the women of Midian and Moab. Twenty-four clans and their leaders lost their way by turning their backs to the one true God, Yahweh, and pursued foreign gods and their practices. It could have been that the leaders of these twenty-four clans, Moses would have executed by impaling them with a pole and left out in the elements. When the plague came, it only came after those 24 clans had followed their leaders on the wrong path. On the flip side, when Phinehas drove the spear through the man and woman in their tent, it ended the plague because of the devotion that he had for the Lord brought about the rest of the Israelites' atonement. The Lord also makes a covenant with Phinehas and his descendants, saying that the priesthood will stay within the family line of his not just any priesthood position, the high priest position, would stay within the family and descendants of Phinehas. When all this was said and done, the people repented and turned back towards Yahweh. The Lord told Moses that because of what the Midianites did, they were to be treated like the Canaanites, enemies of Israel. This would be the beginning of a continual fight between the Israelites and the Midianites. Although it was started by the Moabites and their king, Balak, it seems they didn't involve themselves too much in the actual enticing of the Israelites. However, later on, the Israelites and the Moabites would be in the same boat as the Israelites and the Midianites, enemies of one another. After the plague had come through the camp, Moses was told by the Lord to number all of the Israelites to take another census of the clans within the tribes of Israel. When they took the census, 
it was found that none of the men that were counted in this one were alive during the first census in the desert, right before the Israelites sent the spies into the land of Canaan. The only men that were still alive from the first census were Moses, Joshua, and Caleb. Those three men were the only ones alive that originally came out of Egypt. However, during the census, it only counted males that were 20 years or older. Basically, males who were of the age to go to war. But there came an issue that a man from the tribe of Manasseh had no sons, but only daughters, five of them. These five daughters came to Moses, Eleazar, and the leaders of Israel to bring up their concern about the land and their father's name. Their father was not a rebellious man. He didn't join the rebels that came against Moses and Aaron in the desert. But they tell the leaders of Israel that he died in the wilderness for his own sin of not trusting the Lord to bring them into the promised land. But because he didn't have any sons, his daughters were concerned that their father's name would disappear from the clan. Often, the disappearance of a family came about because the family no longer held any land to their name. And in that period of history, the land was only passed from father to son. But there are no sons in this case. So the daughters of the man wanted to be given land, just like all the other families were going to receive because they had male heirs. Family name was of extreme importance at this time. If one were to lose their family name, it was as if they were abandoned by society. Some even say that it was divine judgment and the family name was removed from society. Much later on in the history of Israel, when a man was wicked, often the Lord would wipe out the man's family name from all living records, bringing it in, bringing it in to the man's lineage. So when the daughters came to the leaders of Israel and Moses, they didn't want to be abandoned by society or the clans. So they asked for the land to keep their father's name alive. Moses would bring the case before the Lord, and the Lord would grant the women the inheritance of their father when they arrived in the promised land. This would bring about a new set of laws at that moment. Whenever a man had no sons, but only daughters, the daughters would be able to receive the inheritance just like their male counterparts. However, if a son was born to a man, then the inheritance would be passed on to him. This new law gave the rights to women that would allow them to own and share in the inheritance if there was no male to be born to their father. Other laws like this have been discovered in the surrounding nations. The ancient Sumerians had laws that would allow women to inherit land if there were no sons. Cities in Babylon, Athens and Greece, and Egypt all had laws that permitted a woman to inherit land within the family there were no sons to inherit that land. Again, this would prevent the loss of a family name within the clans, keeping those that are still within that family from being abandoned within society. The new law would continue. If a man had not born any sons, the land would be passed on to his daughters. If he had no sons or daughters, 
the land would be passed on to his brother. No brother? Then it would go to his uncle. If he had no uncle, then it would go to the closest relative in the clan. This is so that the land would stay within the clan, not be lost to another clan or tribe altogether. Now this law came up right after the battle with the two kingdoms on the eastern side of the Jordan River, and during the incident with the Moabite women enticing the Israeli men to follow their gods. This is important to notice because the mindset of the people had changed. No longer were they complaining about not getting into the promised land and inheriting it. They had already won three major wars, the two kingdoms from the last episode that we talked about, and the other battle that they won against the kingdom of Arad. The Israelites were beginning to realize that the Lord was really for them in taking and possessing the land promised to them. So the question was no longer about dying in the wilderness or let's go back to Egypt. Rather, this new law regarding the inheritance of man passing land down to his daughters, if he had no sons, shows that the people were beginning to look forward to actually conquering the land. Because up to this point, no inheritance had been given out. They weren't actually in the land of Canaan yet. The Israelites are still on the east side of the Jordan River. So even though Balak, the king of Moab, tried to get Balaam, the diviner, to curse the Israelites, Balaam was not able to do so because the Lord had blessed Israel. However, Balaam recognized that if the Israelites were to turn away from following their God, it could bring about the discipline from the Lord. So Balaam gave Balak a word of advice. Although it seems that Balak and the Moabites stayed out of following Balaam's advice, the Midianites took the words of Balaam to heart. The word of advice was to get the women to entice the men of Israel to follow their gods and goddesses. The men of Israel were drawn away from Yahweh and pursued the women of Midian, practiced sexual rituals with them. This would bring about an epidemic on the Israelites that would either wipe out 24,000 people or it could have been 24 clans that died and all of their leaders being executed by being impaled with a pole and left in the elements for all to see. Now that the issue with the women of Midian has been addressed and the epidemic has stopped, it was time for the transition of leadership to happen. So join us next time in episode 63, Commission to Lead, as we begin to see the move from Moses leading the people to Joshua. Until next time, remember that you are loved, special, and worthwhile.